Thank you for listening to this St. Louis on the Air podcast, supported by University College at Washington University. Offering approachable world-class education with undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. This is the 100th anniversary season of the Muni Opera. The Missouri History Museum, which shares Forest Park space with the Muni, unveils a year-long exhibit this weekend. It's titled Muni Memories 100 Seasons on Stage, an homage to the oldest and largest continuously operating outdoor theater in the United States. Joining me to talk about it is Sharon Smith, Missouri History Museum curator. And we want your Muni memories, by the way, so give us a call at 382-8255 or send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or send us a tweet at SDL on air. But we begin, of course, with Sharon. So nice to have you with us once again. Thank you, Don. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, you say that uh, in uh, the, the material that accompanies you, that uh, this is as much about St. Louis as it is about uh, about musical theater in St. Louis. That's correct. I mean, it, while it is one of the most iconic pieces in, in our history, you know, you, you look at St. Louis and it's all about the people that come. Mm-hmm. Year after year after year, they come, they hold their season tickets uh, through generations. And so it's really about making memories in Forest Park every summer and and that's a tradition that carries on for now 100 seasons. Has anybody ever calculated how many people have over the years attended the Muni? You know, at the end of the exhibit, we say that there are 55 million some number. <laughs> I should probably memorize the number. It's a huge number of people that in those 99 seasons have attended the shows. As I, we started to talk before going on air about the fun of putting something like this together, there are so many things to talk about and think about. Tell me about that experience of just gathering all this stuff. Yeah, you know, it's it's a dream for me to to have that opportunity. And so in 2015, we literally went to the Muni and said, you know, we want to work together to put this exhibit um, on the floor in 2018. Can you work with us to keep something from one season, you know, from one show in a season? Because often they you know, they get rid of things, they repurpose. And so we did that. We um, decided it would be the Wizard of Oz in 2016. So they kept everything. They did a lot of extra footage for us, uh, making sure that we had everything available to us. So we could tell, sort of start to finish, how a production makes it to the stage. But then just to go shopping in there, as I say, shopping in their <laughs> props department, you know, underneath the stage is a lot of uh, opportunities to go through, you know, just shows of, of things that are iconic props, some not so iconic, just, mm-hmm. you know, a, a bucket here or, you know, a, a broom or whatever. But but some of them are so iconic, and those are the things that we picked to use in the exhibit. What are some of the iconic props? So uh, think <clears> about <throat> Tevius Cart in Fiddler on the Roof <clears throat> or the Deathbed from the king and I, um, you know, those are some of the some of the most meaningful pieces. You know, I mean, you can't do those scenes without you know sure. those particular props, and they look very much like we would expect them to look. Other things, um, say a bucket and a and a scrub brush for Annie looks like any old bucket and scrub brush, but it's the one that was used in the show. Uh, the collapsible bed in, in uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, mm. that's a classic piece. And, a, and we have uh, Cinderella's carriage. So those things just bring it back. And I think people, when they see those, those iconic props, will be able to recognize the shows. Mary Poppins' umbrella, 
you know, some of them just have to look like they're supposed to look, right? How, yeah, absolutely. How is the, the, the exhibit uh, structured? So the exhibit is structured where we, as a history museum, we can't start with 1919. We have to go before that and kind of get a running start into why do we even have the Muni? And so we look at Forest Park uh, with the pageant and mask in 1914, a huge production. And then we look at that first production on the Muni, what would become the Muni stage, the As You Like It production in 1916. And then we finally get folks to 1919. And we um, we look at how the the uh, Muni was built and, you know, the, the components of that. And then we take people to a production, that Wizard of Oz production, where we have the scarecrow set. And then then we take you backstage and we mm-hmm. talk at all about all of the artistry, uh, whether it's the artists that do the scenes, the artists that make the costumes, the artists that work with the props. Um, and you get to see all of the artifacts back there. That's the huge section of artifacts. We talk about 11 days to rehearse a show. That's unheard of in theater, mm-hmm. mostly. Um, and they do it in 11 days. You get to do a dance step from a chorus line. And, um, well, you try to do a dance step. Exactly. You, you learn a dance step with the resident choreographer, Michael Baxter. And then um, you look at – we also talk about the seating and how that um, looks from our perspective as an audience uh, and the fact that they offer so many free seats every single night. And then we wrap it up with, you know, share a muni memory, take a photo op, those kinds of things, delve into the computer interactives that we have, and um, and then we get you back out the door. But it's really a lot about – taking you behind the scenes and seeing how you, um, you know, how they, how they just put that show together. My understanding is that you, you uh, do something to make you feel like you're outside. Trees are... That's right. So in the very beginning, uh, you know, because they chose the spot that they did, they chose it between the two giant oaks. We asked Muni set builders to build us two giant oaks. And so literally in the first section, you will walk through two giant oaks that take you into that building, the Muni section. And it's and it's really uh, iconic. I mean, that's how it was founded, was mm-hmm. these two giant oaks that uh, that sort of, you know, um, framed that, that stage for As You Like It. You mentioned uh, The Wizard of Oz a couple of times already. And uh, my recollection is that that was first performed of what became the Muni in 1916, a couple of years before the Muni actually uh, became the Muni. There were there were opportunities for playground pageants um, also in Forest Park and places like that. So, you know, uh, a lot of those early um, things that would become musicals, but certainly they were more like pageants back in the day, certainly were part of part of the Muni's early history, even before, as you say, before it was the Muni. Yeah. yeah. There was no Somewhere Over the Rainbow no. in, the t- in the 1916 production. No, no, yeah. no. And, and, you know, the beauty of even what we do with The Wizard of Oz in, in the exhibit is while you can follow the 2016 pieces throughout the exhibit, and we've certainly put them all over the place, at that moment where we look at the production, we look at the many times that it literally was performed on the Muni stage when Margaret Hamilton came and played the Wicked Witch three different times uh, in, on the Muni stage. And look at how the costumes change and how the mm-hmm. props change and how they just get better and better and better, in my opinion, and, and more um, just more profound the, the way that they do these, these productions. Is there a best ever production at the Muni? You know, I think it's interesting because I think there are – I think everybody has their, their opinion sure. about that. And I would say I'm a, I'm a fan of The Wizard. So when they picked that one, it was like, oh, that's really great. And and the one that they chose – and I'd seen it 
maybe a couple times there. I thought the 2016 one was pretty fantastic, just some of the creative elements that they used. But, um, you know, you'll hear some people talk about Les Mis as being one of the most fantastic, or you'll hear some people talking about maybe one that was just a a premiere that that happened for the first time there. So I think that's a, maybe that's a, a caller um, moment. Well, I, I hope we get some calls. I, I suspect that we will. Yeah. How about Hello, Dolly? That's, a, that's an awesome story. So we feature Hello, Dolly in part because it debuted as the um, all-black cast that was pulled from Broadway. Mm-hmm. So Pearl Bailey, Cab Calloway, closed on Broadway for a week, brought the whole show to St. Louis, did a week here in St. Louis, went back to uh, New York and reopened it on Broadway. That's an amazing debut. Let's, let's revive some memories. Original Dolly Levi, Carol Channing, yeah. boy, what a <laughs> what a role, what an iconic role that uh, that was. Did she ever play the role? In, in she Munich? did. Yeah. She did. She was on stage as as uh, Dolly. Yes, yeah. um, it, it's interesting. They've done it five or six times, and they've had a different Dolly each time. You know, sometimes the person might come back and, and reprise the role, but uh, they've had a different Dolly each time, starting with Pearl Bailey. I, I told you off the air this story, but people will remember, I'm sure, because it happened here in St. Louis. Carol Channing had the habit of whenever she was touring with Low Dolly, generally it was a Low Dolly, that she would contact local television stations and say, I'd like to do the weather for you tonight. And they, of course, would say, sure, come on in. <laughs> I wonder if she sang it. Did she sing it? No, 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 she didn't sing it, but she did. Did come in and went through all the motions and probably was as accurate as any of the actual meteorologists. Yeah. But it was always a lot of fun, a great way for, for her to promote the show. Uh-huh. And it was great for the television That's stage. Awesome. It uh, made uh, the ratings that much better. Okay, let's talk a little bit more about the history of the uh, Muni. But to get us going, I'm going to bring in a caller, Chris, in St. Louis, who wants to know, as I do, about some of the origins. Go ahead, Chris. You're on the air. Uh, speaking about the uh, timeline, timeline of events that brought the Muni to Forest Park. I understood that there, the actual first open-air theater uh, built in the park at the approximate location of the Muni actually was built to accommodate a large national convention. The Advertising Clubs of America were coming to St. Louis, and the, the first open-air theater in the park was actually built to accommodate that convention, and that sort of you know, uh, speaks to the earliest roots of the Muni. Can she speak to that? Yes. Um, so actually, you're absolutely right. What happened is right after the As You Like It performance, which was um, the space that would become the Muni stage, they were going to have this advertising club convention in St. Louis the next year in 1917. And they went to um, to try and, and they wanted to so promote the city that they thought this would be a great way to put together a production. They they pulled together um, 
uh, Guy Golterman and the Grand Opera uh, collaborators, and they, they put Aida on the stage in 1917, right in that same spot that they had done As You Like It. So you're absolutely right. It really became uh, a place then, until we could get uh, everything in place for the Muni- Municipal Opera Association to actually um, uh, form and become its own entity, they were doing these other performances. They also did another grand opera. Pagliacci was there also um, in that same spot. So, yes, a couple things happened, but it was all in that same area. How and why did it ultimately morph into what we've come to know as the Muni? You know, it's interesting that when they did when they did the uh, As You Like It, they brought in a New York star, Margaret Anglin, and she, when she saw the space... I keep saying those two giant oaks just because that was how it was Mm -hmm. described, this place between the two oaks. She felt like that was such a natural amphitheater that it should be kept as a theater for all time. And she said, I really hope St. Louis forms, you know, an outdoor theater in this Mm -hmm. space. And I think they took her to heart. And again... You know, we had those couple grand operas that happened in the in the meantime. There were some other fas- the fashion pageants, the playground festivals. All of those things were happening. And then when they opened their first season in 1919, of course, there was a question, could it endure? Mm. You know, it's outdoor theater. And, mm. and, and will people come? But um, clearly we found out that it has, that it has endured. And in, in the midst of some really hard periods of time in mm. our history – the theater never closed for the Depression, World War II, none of those things. They felt like this was an opportunity for um, St. Louisans to continue to have a moment of um, comfort and, and relaxation in the midst of even the hard times. Get away from, Get away uh, from the, it. the outside world, as yeah. it were. Yeah. Was there any early opposition to doing that? You know, I looked at some early um, – uh, editorials, those kinds of things. I think the the uh, the main opposition was Forest Park is such a treasure, and it was such a, a forest mm-hmm. in its day, other than the the time of the World's Fair, that I think that when it first happened, there were some comments about you know there's a lot of noise in Forest Park now, and they really wanted it to go back to that quiet sort of pastoral place that it was, uh, and so I think it took some time for people to. Um, appreciate that it wasn't really noise, that it was becoming this this um, entity that would really resonate with people. But yeah, there were the critics, clearly. We're talking with Sharon Smith of the Missouri History Museum, where we're talking about an exhibit which will open this Saturday and run for just about a year, uh, honoring the uh, 100th anniversary season of the Muni Opera, also in Forest Park, needless to say. We'll come back, continue the conversation in just a moment. And folks, we want to get you into this discussion. I'm sure there are many memories out there. We'd love to hear from you. What What are your memories? 382-8255 is our telephone number. You can send us a tweet at SDL on air or email us at talk at sdlpublicradio.org. Back with Sharon in just a moment. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio, 90.7 KWMU. Welcome back as we continue our conversation about the 100th anniversary season of the Muni Opera with curator Sharon Smith. Ironic, Sharon, that we're talking about the um, 100 years of Monsanto coming to an end as yes. Monsanto yes. and talking about 100 years of the Muni continuing as the Muni. That's going to be there for a long time. It is. I, you know, and, and as many uh, listeners probably know, the, uh, the unveiling of the Muni's hopes for their second 
century has now, you know, been at least shown a little bit and how they're going to make some some changes. But, you know, they're going to keep it still the Muni. It's still going to be completely outdoors. You know, some theaters go to, you know, covers over the top and none of that for the Muni. You know, it's amazing the uh, the list of celebrities that uh, have, have played and performed there. I mean, that says an awful lot about what it means to the showbiz crowd. Not only that the shows are performed there, but the big names who have been there yes, over the years. Yes, There have been some mighty big ones. There have been. You know, you look at um, back in the, you know, I guess the mid-century, when you start really looking at the American musicals, and you know many of those were touring shows. So the, back in the day, the Muni brought in the touring shows um, that were that were going all across across the country. You got your Ethel Merman show, and you got the Carol Channing, and you know um, Bob Hope and Red Skelton, and you know I mean you could just go on and on and on with all these names. And now the Muni does produces all of their shows. You know they don't bring in the touring shows like many musical theaters do. But um, and now they bring in a lot of these Broadway up and coming stars. So maybe we don't know their names quite so much. But there's also like St. Louisans. I mean, think about Ken Page, who has been here, went to Broadway and is now back on the Muni stage or, you know, some others, Mary Wicks, uh, St. Louisan that performed for a lot of years, Vincent Price left and came back. Um, those are, you know, we get to we get to talk about those stars in the exhibit. Did Betty Grable ever perform? She's a St. Louisan or Virginia Mayo? Yes, huh. yes. I couldn't tell you the shows off the top. <laughs> I mean, now if you ta- if you talk to the Muni archivists, they'll be able to tell you exactly which show. But there's so many. I mean, it's it's crazy how many um, people have been in, in the Muni stage. I wanted to bring up a performer by the name of Archie Leach, yes. who many people will recognize as Cary Grant, but that was his uh, his real name. Did he perform here? At as Archie Leach or yes, as Cary Grant? as Archie Leach. Ah. So he came with the Schuberts. When the Schuberts came in to be the uh, sort of the artistic side of things, they brought Archibald Leach with them. He was an up-and-coming rising star in New York. And they said, you know, hey, we need this, whatever his tone, baritone or tenor voice, we need, you know. And, and back in those days, the Muni had a cast for a season. So it was like a stock cast. And they would just switch roles as to whether the prima donna was going to be the st- the lead that that week or whatever. And th- so he was here for the whole 1931 season. And as soon as he left, he headed to California and became Cary Grant. So we had him as Archibald Leach. Wouldn't you love to have a recording of Archibald Leach or <laughs> Cary Grant singing? Right? Yeah. There are some amazing photos. And um, there's one that the Muni Archives uh, is really proud to talk about. And uh, it's it's a cast standing along this pergolas, you know, the cement pergolas there at the Muni. And there's one guy towering above everybody else, and it's Archibald Leach, uh-huh. and he's and just gorgeous then. And, you know, it's it's really a great testament to the kinds of people who go through. He never got any less gorgeous. He no. was a pretty good-looking guy. No. <laughs> Let's take some more calls. Fred joining us now from Glendale. Fred, thanks for being with us. Hi, Don. Hi. Back in uh, probably the mid-40s or early 40s, our family had season tickets to the Muni. And you know how kids today, they want to be... Uh, uh, the Spider-Man, the Wonder Woman, or the Avengers. And I remember, because of the Muni, a, a production I can't remember the exact name of, I think I spent a whole year being the Red Shadow. And I think it was something, uh, the production was something by the name of Desert Something. Maybe she remembers it. Desert Song. Desert, Desert Song. Yeah. Desert Song, is that it? 
Yep, that was a that was a fan favorite for many years. I you know it was one of those more light opera, uh, light operetta types, and they did those for a number of years until again we get to like the fifties when American musicals like uh, South Pacific and you know all of the ones that the Rodgers and Hammersteins and the Leonard and Lowe. But before that, it was a lot of these um, more operetta types. Yeah, Desert Song was a big one. Yeah, Fred, thank you for the call. Uh, we'll do one now that I, I'm sure the Muni did, and uh, because uh, it is the Muni, and because of the locale, and that was uh, Showboat, which is about in this era that we're talking about. Let's give a listen to a little of that. There's an old man called Mississippi. That's the old man that I wants to be. What does he care if the world's got troubles? What does he care if the land ain't free? That, of course, is William Warfield, who is the only person who can really sing that song. Mm. And, you know, it's so iconic, you know, and, and Showboat is the only show that has been produced 15 times at the Muni. It's the most produced show there. I thought for many years that William Warfield was from St. Louis simply because of that scene, I'm sure, that just so identified with, mm-hmm. uh, with the river and that. Uh, yes, yes. Let's take another call. Jerry in O'Fallon wants to be with us, and he is. Go ahead, Jerry. Good afternoon. Hi. Let me just step on that last comment and um, say that as an employee of Ozark Airlines, I recall having William Warfield on flights to and from the University wow. of Illinois, where I guess he spent his later years uh, in the faculty or as an adjunct teacher. But uh, my memories of the Muni go back to the middle uh, 70s when, uh, 1974, I believe, they opened the the, uh, season with uh, Gene Kelly in a production of Take Me Along. Mm -hmm. And the following week was, uh, believe it or not, the hot ticket that year was the Andrews Sisters in a musical called Over Here. And as you previously mentioned in in other seasons, they closed the entire entire. Broadway play brought the you know brought the company mm-hmm. to St. Louis for a week, and another memorable um, production was I don't know if it was a touring show but it was an uh, an all black um, version of Guys and Dolls yes with um, believe it or not Richard Roundtree mm-hmm. who I guess you could say sang it at least as well as Marlon Brando <laughs> and Leslie Uggams and Leslie Uggams yes yes. Yes, we actually have some images of the Guys and Dolls um, cast and and some um, dancing footage of a rehearsal that will play in the exhibit. And, you know, again, yeah, they brought that one from Broadway. And some of these uh, casts would literally they closed. And it's not just even those two. I think there's like four or five times where they closed on Broadway, brought it to St. Louis. That says something about the integrity of the Muni that you can close a show on Broadway and say, hey, we're we're going to go to the Municipal Opera in St. Louis for a week and then we'll be back. Uh, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I think something like 21 world premieres on the Muni stage 
including something as recent as 2000 with White Christmas, huh. um, is it's just a testament to to what this this institution stands for. Jerry mentioned the African American performers in more recent times, but I think it's pretty well known that uh, in the bottom half of the uh, of the last century, black performers came to St. Louis to perform, but they. They couldn't stay in very many places. I know the Chase was famous for excluding yes. people who were even performing there. Was any of that uh, part of the Muni story? You know, we 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 wanted to try and figure out what is the what is the real. You know, is the was the Muni always integrated? And you know, the the easy answer is yes. Was it integrated in a way that? We would like to think so. It's it's a little harder. But, you know, it's not like an indoor theater where often in those early years, uh, people of color would sit in the top, you know, in the mm-hmm. balcony only and come in the back doors, that kind of thing. So, you know, the Muni has always been accessible to everybody. So uh, partly because of free seating. And if you called and wanted to buy a ticket, you could sit wherever you bought the ticket. Um, sometimes it meant, you know, seats were given in certain places, but you still had a seat. And so I think the Muni, um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's easy to say that there was some form of integration. And and then on the stage, you know, there were the moments, they if, if it called for um, an African-American actor, they put African-American actors on stage. Mm-hmm. They, uh, that, was, that was always the, the way of the Muni. And now they um, do something called blind casting, which means that, you know, whoever's the best person for the part gets the part. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference. When did the free seat thing start? Day one. Oh, really? Day one. And in fact, goes to those earlier shows of the pageant and mask and As You Like It, always. So even those predecessors to the Muni always had free seats. It was something that was in the um, very DNA of the Muni. Somebody really had some vision back mm-hmm. in the day mm-hmm. then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, again, that speaks to this notion that because it's a civic entity, you know, and it's about the people and about the city and the connection of, you know, community and what that's going to mean, um, of course, if you make it accessible, people will come. It'll be a lot easier for people to come, right? So I feel like um, that is a huge part, and we certainly don't miss that in the exhibit. We want to make sure that that's told. I think a lot of people came to see uh, another show that is very popular here and uh, and always been popular since it came out about 40 years ago. Let's see if people can pick up on what this is. I think once you hear those notes, you have a pretty good idea of what's coming. It's one of the best uh, Broadway musicals of all time and certainly played nicely at the Muni as well. Do you know what it is? Yes. Awesome. There it is. Singular sensation Every little step she takes One Thrilling combination Every move that she makes One smile and suddenly nobody else Obviously, Marvin Hamlish's A Chorus Line. Yes, yes. In fact, just done last year. Um, and, and the really cool thing, uh, I think, as I mentioned earlier, is that we were able to get the resident choreographer, Michael Baxter, to perform 16 steps of that and teach it to our our museum visitors as if he were teaching a rehearsal. So, um, yeah, everybody should come and try and learn the dance step. It's not something that I'm very good at, uh, but but it's fun. And he does a really good job with it. And that's, that is so classic. 
Just, just one of the interactive parts of yes. the exhibit. You've mentioned one or two, but what's, what are some of the others? So there are um, opportunities, again, for, um, you know, we try to do a lot with um, media pieces. So there's a lot of those where you can interact. There's the, the opportunities to um, consider what is your favorite star. So we'll have oppor- a place where they can have a ballot. They'll pick their favorite mm-hmm. star. We'll switch out the, the star wall. Um, once every month or so, so people have to come back and see what the, mm-hmm. the stars that change. Uh, there are pop- opportunities to leave Muni memories, uh, paper dolls, so that you can be your own costume designer uh, and and try and figure out what that might be like. So lot, sometimes they're low tech, sometimes they're high tech, but the the dance step is probably the the highest tech there is. And um, Boy, it's fun. It's, it sounds like you have the kids in mind, too. Is this something that kids are going to get? They're not familiar with a lot of the uh, history or the shows. Yeah, yeah. I think, again, I think that, you know, one of the things that's great about exhibits like this where there's a lot of memory sharing, it becomes an intergenerational exhibit. So even if – I feel like kids go to the Muni early, and we've got some of the kids' shows pretty prominently positioned. You know, Annie, there's a stand-up um, – figure of Annie in there so with with Sandy the dog so even if you've not known anything else if you know Annie the the film uh, that will resonate um, things with Little Mermaid you know there's a lot of those kids show, the ki- the Muni will do a kids show every year they're committed to it mm-hmm. so a lot of those will show up in the exhibit so I think that kids will find things and then like the paper dolls and um, just opportunities to see it's very colorful very bright there's a lot to um, to just take in, and I think they'll I think they'll find a place there. You, you say the Muni is committed to having a children's show every year. Do you have any idea how they go about selecting what they're going to do, do year after year? Yes, and and it's very democratic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if if you go to the Muni, the very last show I think it is, or next to the last show of the year, they put a ballot in your program, mm-hmm. and if you turn that in, you will. Your voice will be heard. Um, I've heard it from Denny Reagan himself say that they look at all of those ballots. They take that into consideration as how they're going to choose the next the next season. And some of it has to do with the audience's selections, and some of it has to do with what shows are available. Sure. You know, for instance, I'm, I'm a fan of Sound of Music. They haven't been able to do that the last couple of years, even though they've wanted to. Well, the reason is it's a touring show. Right now it's on tour, and if it's on tour, they can't also produce it. It has to be off tour for them to be able to produce it their way. So we have to wait sometimes for some shows. So that's how they do it. They pick those shows. They work about um, – you know, a month or two after the the um, season closes, really earnestly. Although I'm I'm sure they're already thinking. Mike Isaacson and his crew are thinking of shows not even for next season, but maybe two seasons out. You know, thinking about it at least. One thing is for sure that the uh, stage is not going to be a limitation to any production. Not at all. You know, they can they have no ceiling, <laughs> so they can fly planes over helicopters. They can shoot fireworks out all across the the um, audience, they can do just about anything. And that's a, a, a piece that we talk about in the exhibit. At the very end, when we're wrapping up, we call the last section, um, we have this infographic, and it's called Only at the Muni. And there's this montage of photos showing the kinds of things. They parade camels across the stage and elephants. And, you know, you can't necessarily pull those off in a in a theater that's indoors. Um so the Muni really is alone in its greatness. It well, really is. You can shoot fireworks up, but rain also comes down. Sadly. Uh, sadly. The R word. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem to me in my recollection that it was 
uh, uh, too much of a problem ever. I mean, it does happen, but it didn't happen all that often. It, you know, it doesn't. Uh, when you think about it, there have been, you know, I'm, I'm not from here, so I didn't grow up going to the Muni, but but in the time that I've been going, you know, it, it threatens a lot. And then you sometimes feel like there's this bubble around Forest Park, and it yeah. just protects that Muni. Some seasons feel a little wetter than others, but... Um, but, you know, regardless, they know what to do. They handle it well, and, and they move on. It's just what they do. Well, if it's not raining, it's certainly going to be hot. It'll be hot. And they deal with that pretty well. They do. They have the fans. You know, the new fans are amazing. They, um, they can keep them on. They're not noisy mm-hmm. like the older fans were. And I've actually heard people say it's a little chilly. <laughs> so I just – if I think I'm going to be chilly, I'll just take a sweater. What, what, what's reason – not to do that. Yeah, sure. Well, our time is winding down, but is there any other part of this exhibit uh, that you want to tell people about that we haven't talked about that's very special to you? You know, I think it's I think so much of it is special and and the the real the real special part of it is that it's about an institution that is committed to being uh, a part of St. Louis's um fabric and and that it brings communities together. I will tell you that um, there is something there for everyone. And I think we won't, the 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 mantra that we had was, how can we do 100 seasons in 6,000 square feet? And we can't, but we can certainly get an attempt at it. And so I hope that there's, um, that people find something that they, that will trigger a memory that they can remember something about this wonderful institution. I'm sure they will. Well, congratulations on pulling it all together. It well, sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Sharon Smith, Missouri History Museum curator of Muni Memories 100 Seasons on Stage. It opens Saturday and runs until June of next year. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. 